Hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are finishing up our sermon series called Follow Me. And all throughout the series, we've spent our time together talking about what it means to follow Jesus. But in spite of the fact that we spent our last five episodes talking about what it means to follow Jesus, we really haven't spent any time talking about why we should follow Jesus to begin with. And that's what I want us to spend our time together today talking about. So let's get right into this episode sermon. So right now, most of you know that I am a child of the 80s. And what that means is that I am old enough to remember a time when you could go to Blockbuster Video, which makes me old in itself, um, but, and you could rent a VHS tape while you were there. I'm old enough to remember a time when you wanted your video games to work that you had to blow on the back of the cartridges. I'm old enough to remember a time, just barely, when you had to walk across the living room when you wanted to change the channel you were watching on TV. And as a child of the 80s, I am a pretty big fan of all things 80s pop culture. So I love movies from the 80s like Big or The Goonies or the Back to the Future trilogy. And I love TV shows from the 80s like MacGyver or The A-Team and ALF. I love cartoons that came out in the 80s like He-Man and the Thundercats and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And don't even get me started on the toys from the 1980s. Because the 1980s brought us everything from the Transformers to Teddy Ruxpin. It brought us everything from, from, from the Pound Puppies to Popples. It brought us everything from Micro Machines to Moon Shoes. But, at least in my opinion, the coolest thing that came out of the 1980s, aside from maybe the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, was the original Nintendo. How many of y'all remember the original N- Nintendo? Now, there were more than 700 games that came out for the original Nintendo Entertainment System. But for my money, the best games were always the Super Mario games. Now, in case you don't know, Mario is an Italian plumber who lives in the Mushroom Kingdom. But unlike other plumbers who spend their days snaking drains and installing sinks, it's not exactly what Mario did with most of his time. Mario spent most of his time fighting little bad guys that look like mushrooms and turtles in order to save the princess. And that concept, the hero rescuing the princess, it seems pretty simple. But when you're an eight-year-old kid playing your way through those video games, it's a whole lot harder than it seems. So as a kid, I remember playing these Mario games for hours on end. And I always got excited whenever I started a new game. And on the original Nintendo system, you didn't save games. So when you started a game, you always started a new game. But I always got excited when we started these games because I thought I knew exactly what I needed to do to progress my way through the game. What I needed to do to stomp on the bad guys and collect the coins and to raise the flags and ultimately rescue the princess. But... Whenever I played these games, I always reached a point where I forgot the purpose of the game. I forgot that the point of the game was to go and rescue the princess, and I'd get distracted by all the little side things that you could do in these games. So I would find myself getting obsessed with collecting every possible coin that I could find, or I would want to find one of Mario's hidden powers that were somewhere in the game. And Mario had some really cool special powers that you could find. I mean, that dude could turn into a flying raccoon by the time that Super Mario Brothers 3 came out. But it never failed. That whenever I forgot the point of the game, whenever I forgot that I was supposed to be trying to rescue the princess, it never took long before I got myself into a predicament where I was no longer able to move forward. Where I got myself 
stuck. And when you got stuck in those games, you really only had one option. You had to reach up to the front of the Nintendo and press that reset button and start all over again. Now, you may have never thought about it this way, but that exact same thing happens in our relationship with God. When we first start following God, we're always excited about what it means to follow God. We know that we want to spend time with God, so we have no problems reading our Bibles and praying. We know that we want to grow in our faith, that we want to learn more about God, so we get plugged into a small group or a Sunday school class. We know that we want to put our faith into action, so we find ways that we can volunteer and ways that we can serve. But eventually, life starts to get in the way. We find ourselves getting busy, and we get distracted. We get busy at work, so we don't make time to spend time with God. We have to take the kids to soccer practice, so we stop showing up for our small groups and trying to grow in our faith. We find ourselves exhausted at the end of a busy work week, and we decide we need a little bit of me time over the weekends, so we stop putting our faith into action and volunteering at all. And without even realizing what's happened, we find ourselves at a place where we get stuck, where we aren't moving forward with our purpose. We find ourselves at a place where we know we want to keep growing, but we don't know how. So sometimes it would be nice if our faith had a reset button, like the front of that Nintendo box did, that we could push and we could start all over again. Well, if you've ever felt that way, I've got good news for you. Right now, we in the church are in a season that we call Lent, and Lent is kind of like a reset button for our faith every single year. The author Sarah Parsons explains what Lent is when she says that Lent is a time when we look at our lives and we look at ourselves, not so that we can criticize ourselves more harshly, but so that we can identify the obstructions that keep us from following God. Lent gives us a chance to look at these obstructions and to gently move them away so that we can come closer to the one who gives us life, the one whose triumph we celebrate on Easter Sunday. So what Sarah Parsons is saying here is that Lent is a time when we look at our lives and we admit that we get distracted from our purpose. We get distracted from our focus of following God. And Lent's also a time where we get to hit the reset button on our faith and start back from the beginning. And when we start back from the beginning of our faith, we can remember why it is that Jesus calls us to follow him to begin with. And this is something that's always important for us to remember, but it's especially important for us to remember today, as we have seen somebody take the first steps in their relationship with God. But it's also important because over the last five weeks, we've spent all of our time together talking about what it means to follow Jesus. But we haven't spent any time at all talking about why we should follow Jesus. So over the last five weeks, we've talked about what it means to follow Jesus, and we've seen that part of what it means to follow Jesus is that we make him our first priority in our lives. And we've also seen that if we want to follow Jesus, that that means that we have to be willing to put our faith into action and to serve other people. And we've seen that if we want to follow Jesus, part of what that means is that we have to love others, and we also have to be able to love ourselves the way that God loves us all. And we've seen that if we want to follow Jesus, that we have to produce godly fruit in our lives. And that means that we need to become more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, better people who have more self-control. But even though we've spent these five weeks talking about what it means for us to follow Jesus, we haven't talked about why. Why should we want to follow Jesus to begin with? 
And if following Jesus requires all this stuff from us, if following Jesus requires us to make God our first priority, and if following Jesus requires us to put our faith into action, if it requires that we love others and that we love ourselves, and if following Jesus requires us to produce godly fruit in our lives, if it requires all of these things, then there's got to be a good reason why we would want to follow Jesus to begin with. So why should we follow Jesus? Jesus. Well, I've already given you a hint at where we can find the answer to that question. I told you that there are times when we need to start at the beginning to remember why we follow Jesus to begin with. And I meant that literally. To understand why we should follow Jesus, why we follow God, we need to start back in the book of Genesis. Now, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. It's the very beginning of the Bible. That's why we call the book Genesis. The word Genesis means beginning. So as you're reading through the book of Genesis, you're going to be able to read about all kinds of different beginnings. Like as you read in Genesis 1, you read about the story about the beginning of creation. In Genesis 2, which is where we're going to be looking at today, you're going to read about the beginning of us, the beginning of humanity and why God created us in the first place. So if you've got a Bible close by, I want to encourage you to go ahead and grab it and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And the story that we're going to look at today picks up in verse 4. So here's what this passage tells us. It says, On the day the Lord made earth and sky, before any wild plants appeared on the earth, and before any field crops grew, Because the Lord God hadn't yet sent rain on the earth and there was still no human being to farm the fertile land, though a stream rose from the earth and watered all of the fertile land, the Lord God formed the human from the topsoil of the fertile land and blew life's breath into his nostrils. The human came to life. Now in these four verses that we just read, We hear where we as people come from. And we hear that we are not some sort of cosmic coincidence. We hear that we did not just magically appear. We hear that we're not just a compilation of cells. Now this passage tells us that we come from God. And we don't just come from God. This passage tells us that God formed us from the topsoil of the fertile land and breathed life into us. So God formed us, and God made us with his own two hands. Whenever I think about that, I can't help but think about all the times that Hannah and I used to play with Play-Doh when she was younger. Now, when Hannah and I played with Play-Doh when she was younger, we weren't just making a mess in spite of what Ashley may tell you. When Hannah and I played Play-Doh when she was younger, there was always a purpose for playing with Play-Doh. And whenever we sat down and we played with Play-Doh, Hannah always wanted me to create specific things for her. So we'd sit down and we'd open up the Play-Doh containers and she would say, Daddy, can you make me a cat? Daddy, can you make me a dog? Daddy, can you make me an elephant? Can you make me a giraffe? She even got on one kick where she wanted me to make Disney princesses with Play-Doh, which was not fun. So every time we were playing with Play-Doh, I'm like, please, can I just make you a snake for crying out loud? But she would never let me for some reason. But whenever she would ask me to create whatever it was that she wanted me to create, I had to think about how I was going to make that thing with my own 
two hands. So she wanted me to make an elephant. I had to think about how I was going to form that elephant's torso. I had to think about what I needed to do to make the elephant's big floppy ears. I had to think about how long I was going to make its trunk and its tusks. And then I had to start the meticulous work of putting the whole thing together with my own two hands because I got to tell you something. Hannah was a pretty harsh critic of my Play-Doh creations when she was younger, and she wouldn't hesitate to look over at me and say, Daddy, that doesn't look like an elephant. You need to start over again. And that's the image that comes to my mind when I think about the fact that we were created with God's own hands. God meticulously created every one of us. So before God made you, God sat down and God thought about exactly who you were going to be. God thought about how tall you'd end up being or how short you'd end up being. God thought about what color hair, what color eyes you would have. But that's not all. God also thought about what you would like and what you would dislike. He thought about what you would be passionate about and what you would be indifferent to. God did that because God knew the world needs you. God knows that the world needs you exactly how you are. And then God would go about the meticulous work of creating you with his own hands. And God got it just right when he made you. And I'm going to say that again because there are some of you that have never heard that before in your entire life. So listen to me. God got it just right when he made you. This is why the Apostle Paul, who's the foremost missionary and theologian of the first century, when he's writing a letter to some of Jesus' first followers living in a place called Ephesus, in Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Has anybody ever told you that you're a masterpiece before? Maybe you've had somebody tell you you're a real piece of work. But I've never had anybody tell me that I am God's masterpiece, that I'm a masterpiece. But that's what God says about me. That's what God says about you. That's what God says about all of us. And because we are God's masterpiece, because God formed us with his own two hands, God also knows exactly why he created you. And as we keep reading in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to find out why it is that God created all of us. So let's turn back to Genesis 2 together. This time we're going to pick up in verse 8. This is what it says. Genesis 2 verse 8, we're told, The Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east and put there the human he had formed. In the fertile land, the Lord grew every beautiful tree with edible fruit, and also he grew the tree of the knowledge of life in the middle of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now let's skip down to verse 15. In verse 15 we're told, The Lord God took the human and settled him in the garden of Eden to farm it and to take care of it. Now what these verses tell us is that God didn't just create you for no good reason. God didn't just create you because he was bored and he had a few minutes to kill before his next Zoom meeting was going to get started. No, these verses tell us that God made you on purpose for a purpose. God made you on purpose and God made you for a purpose. Now, in the verses that we just read in Genesis chapter 2, we're told that God created the human so that the human could farm and to care for the land. 
Now, obviously, God did not create all of us to farm and to care for the land. And that's a really good thing because I'm the kind of guy that could kill an artificial plant. So if God created me to farm and to care for the land, everything would be dead and we would all be in really big trouble. All right? So God doesn't just create the human to farm and to care for the land. God, did you pay attention to what happens here? God invites the human to come and care for everything that God has just made. So what this means for us is that God created you to join in his work. God created you to join in his work. Now think about that for just a second. All right? God didn't just create you with his own two hands. God didn't just breathe life's breath into you. God also made you so that you can join God in God's work. And that reminds me of one of my great uncles when I was growing up as a kid. I had a great uncle who was an amazing woodworker. And he had a great big old shop out behind his house that had more tools in it than Home Depot and Lowe's, okay? I mean, he had bandsaws and jigsaws. He had planers and he had joiners. But my favorite tool that he had in his entire shop was a lathe. Now, in case you don't know, a lathe is kind of like a rotisserie for a piece of wood. You put a wood inside, a piece of wood in it, and it spins the wood around. And for a master craftsperson like my uncle, they could take a chisel to that spinning block of wood, and they could turn it into an intricate table leg, or they could turn it into a powerful bat. But in my great uncle's case, what he tended to make more than anything else were the outer casings for ink pens that he would take in as he traveled around. He'd sell them everywhere that he went. But when I was a kid, I loved to watch my uncle work. And I didn't get a chance to see him very often. But every time that my family went to Ohio to visit our extended family, and I had the chance to visit his shop, I could not wait to go in there to pull up a stool beside whatever it was that he was working on and just watch him create. But at one point when I was about 10 years old or so, my uncle invited me, my great uncle invited me to join him in his work. So he pulled my little stool up over beside the lathe, and he helped me hold that chisel in my hands. And he helped me move that chisel back and forth over that piece of wood, slowly carving away more and more chunks of that wood until a beautiful outer casing for a pin had been formed. And i got to tell you, that was like the coolest thing ever when I was 10 years old. But that's exactly what God does for every one of us. God wants all of us to join him in his work. God wants us to pull up his stool, pull up our stool beside him. God wants to take our hands and our feet, and God wants us to create something incredibly beautiful together. But why? I mean, this is God we're talking about. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. This is a big and a vast God. Why in the world would he want anything to do with us. Why would God make us? Why would God invite us to join him in his work? Once well, we keep reading in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to discover that God once does all of this for us for the same reason he did everything that he did in Genesis chapter 2. So let's turn back to Genesis 2 one more time and let's take a look at verse 16 together. In Genesis 2, verse 16, we read, 
The Lord commanded the human, eat your fill from all of the garden's trees. God created you on purpose. God created you for a purpose. Because God loves you. And God wants the best for you. That's what God's telling the human in Genesis 2 when he says, eat your fill from all the garden's trees. He's telling him, go enjoy life. Enjoy the best that this world has to offer for you. This is the way that the Gospel of John, or John's biography of Jesus, has Jesus speak to us. And Jesus, who is God made human, tells us this. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. God made you because God wants you to have an abundant life. Now let me take just a second here so I can explain what I mean when I say that God wants you to have an abundant life. When I say that God wants you to have an abundant life, I'm not telling you that God wants you to be rich. Sorry. I'm not telling you that God wants you to be powerful. I'm not telling you that God wants you to be famous. I'm not telling you that God wants your life to be nothing but sunshines and puppy dogs from this moment forward. When I tell you that God wants you to have an abundant life, what I'm telling you is that God wants you to have a life that is filled with things that give you life instead of things that steal life away from you. God doesn't want your life to be filled with sorrow, with anxiety, with indifference, with hatred. God wants your life to be filled with things that give you life. God wants your life to be filled with hope and peace and joy and love. God wants your life to be filled with purpose and with meaning. God wants your life to make a real difference in this world. And God knows that the only way that can happen is if you follow him. So yeah, following God demands a whole lot from us. Following God demands that we make him the first priority in our lives. Following God demands that we put our faith into action and that we serve other people. Following God demands that we love our other people and that we love ourselves the way that God loves us all. And following God demands that we grow godly fruit in our lives. So following God demands a whole lot from us. But it demands all of that from us and more because it's worth it. When you follow Jesus, you get to be exactly who your creator made you to be. You get to live the life that your creator wants you to live. You get to live a life that is filled with everything that gives you life, even in the hardest situations you can imagine. But we've told you all throughout the series, every single week, that following Jesus is a choice. And right now I can tell you that Jesus is asking, will you follow me? But it's up to you to decide. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, we're just overwhelmed by the fact that you, the God who created everything, the heavens and the earth and everything in them, that you care about us, that you love us, that you want to have a relationship with us, that you want us to experience an abundant life. God, we're not worthy of it at all. But you still offer it to us all. 
So God, my prayer is that if you're tugging on somebody's heart right now, whether they're sitting in this room, whether they're worshiping on the other side of an internet connection, if you're tugging on their heart and saying, will you follow me, that you help them make this choice. That even though following you demands so much from us, it's worth it. Because following you allows us to be exactly who you made us to be. So God, help us to commit ourselves to following you every day. Help us to be the people you want us to be. Help us to love this world that you so love. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has reminded you of why we should commit ourselves to following Jesus. Because yes, following Jesus demands a whole lot from us. But when we commit ourselves to following Jesus, that's the only way that we can be who God made us to be. It's the only way that we can do what God created us to do. It's the only way that we can have the life that God wants us to live. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode, but I want to encourage you to come back and join us next week. Next week is Easter Sunday. We're going to be celebrating Easter together. So I hope that you'll join us for that when our next episode drops sometime next week, or you can come and you can worship with us live on Easter Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We'd love to have you come and join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week, that you have a very happy Easter, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.